Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Garden State of Hockey podcast. My name is Dan Roselle, and I'm joined by John Fisher on this snowy Sunday morning. How's it going, John? I hate the snow, Dan. Yeah. It's uh, not great. We have the Super Bowl tonight. That's when we're recording this. But we are coming back today because I know that I teased a bi-weekly schedule release of the podcast Mondays and Fridays to account for all the Devils games that would take place on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays and Sundays this year. However, what I was not to expect is that the one case that ended up keeping Travis Zajac back at New Jersey and ended up uh, keeping Kyle Palmieri out of Game 2 against the Buffalo Sabres uh, a couple weeks ago ended up being the worst outbreak the NHL has seen thus far of COVID. And we don't know for sure that it's, you know, confirmed to be this way or it's just contact tracing issues. But at this point, considering how many devils have landed on the list and the fact that they've had their games postponed at least through Tuesday, uh, it's not good. It's it's not a good sign. I hope that these players can recover and be able to even participate in that contest on Tuesday because there's a couple dimensions to this. Will the Devils be able to play games safely? Will their opponents be able to safely play against them? And will the Devils be playing at a level the same as before they got uh, COVID? And we don't know who got it or who was just a close contact, but it's very much a big factor of impeding the momentum of the season right when it's, uh, you know, just getting going in earnest. And the Devils have a lot of catching up to do uh, to make up for this lost ground that they have now. So that's just what I'm kind of worried about. But honestly, it's easier at this point to just read the list of names that didn't hit the COVID list. So John has that prepared uh, very conveniently already. So John, hit us with the players that were uh, exempt from this episode in Devils history. Right. So as of Friday, which is when the Devils peaked with 17 players on the protocol list, here are the players that didn't make the list. Uh, Miles Wood, Mikhail Maltsev, who is who made his debut on uh, Sunday, uh, Nick Merkley, Jesper Bokvist, who also played on Sunday, P.K. Subban, Ryan Murray, who also played on Sunday, <laughs> Will Butcher, who has been a scratch, so he's just been with the team but not playing, Scott Wedgwood, who has been the backup to Eric Comrie, who also didn't make the list. And then two taxi squad members in Gillis Sen and Kevin Ball. That was the list that didn't get onto the protocol list within this past week. <laughs> yeah, everyone else has landed there. And so what's the issue here? Well, there's already consequences being, um, you know, talked about in the NHL in terms of how they have to adjust their protocols. At this point, between this, you know, scenario between the Devils and Sabres, because the Sabres just had two more names land on their list. I believe they have seven there now, uh, including old friend Taylor Hall, um, since that game with the Devils. And obviously the Sabres were not happy with the way the NHL allowed that game to be played, but uh, I think the issue had a lot to do with the fact that, um, you know, the type of testing they're using and that there's a time delay on it. And if you're having a back-to-back set, it's very hard to clear everyone in that amount of time. Um, and so we're already seeing, you know, the possibilities of game-to-game transmission. So many Devils made the list. They shared a locker room. And then they played against the Sabres, who now have this, I would say, the second most people uh, on the COVID list. So uh, there's some sort of connection there. You can look back to games between Detroit and Carolina that had similar um, instances of person-to-person spread, but uh, they managed to nip it in the bud before it spread to the whole team. So the NHL has to make some adjustments, and one of the ones they made was to remove the glass from behind the benches. 
um, just to allow for more breathability back there and for the coaching staffs to stand a little further back and not just be on top of the players. Uh, obviously, for the players, logistically, it doesn't help them. They can't space like the players do in the NBA or in um, soccer. They have to be sitting close to the ice so they can make line changes quickly. But uh, at least for the coaching staff, they can keep them a bit further away because that usually has some older and potentially more at-risk individuals. The consequence that comes out of removing the glass is that now the jurisdiction is in the referee's hands for when a puck is cleared out of the defensive zone. If it goes over the bench, it's under their jurisdiction as to whether or not it would have cleared the glass had it been there uh, in determination of a delay of game penalty. So I can already see a scenario in the playoffs where this is a potential disaster. How about you, John? Well, I think the easy workaround is just to tell the refs, if you're not sure, don't call it. Yeah, yeah. But, um, you know, that type of rule for the benches has always been a little iffy. If we go back to 2019, there was a time where Taylor Hall just literally flipped the puck up into his own bench. It was clear and obvious he was doing it because he had, you know, he panicked and just did it. And even though technically a puck going into the bench wouldn't count as delay a game, the fact that he did it intentionally got him the two minutes for it. So it's, it's a very uncommon penalty to begin with. Um, more likely they're going to be looking at pucks going over the glass uh, in your own zone, which is what the intent of the rule is. Mm -hmm. So I I don't think this is going to cause a playoff loss or anything like that. I will say um, Pittsburgh fans may be salty about the rule since um, they took one and then proceeded to lose to the Islanders last night. And now Pittsburgh is just one point ahead of the Devils (laughs) and the Islanders and the Sabres and the Rangers in the East right now. So, I mean, those penalties could still cost you, but I don't think the bench is going to be an issue for that. Yeah, so uh, there's, you know, the Devils might be back in action, but we don't know. It's the... Right. Well, that's a perfect segue to the big news that happened yesterday, that the NHL announced 27 uh, schedule changes. 13 of which Um, involve games that the Devils are participants in, which is not a surprise. No. So even though four games have been postponed, they did confirm that Tuesday's game against Pittsburgh, that was going to be on NBCSN, that's been postponed. Um, But even though only four games were postponed, you have to take into account travel, you have to take into account team and arena availability, and most of all, you have to set up the schedule such that you do not have three games in a row. Yes. This is not the AHL, the NHLPA has made it very clear in CBAs that they will not be doing three games in a row. I think the only time they will allow that is if under extreme um, duress, for lack of a better term, like there's no good option. I think the last time that happened it actually involved the Devils when back in 2009, I want to say, they the, the lights went out at the Prudential oh, Center right. against Tampa Bay in the third period. <laughs> and so the, so the ask was, can we just finish the third period? And they did. They did. So they allowed the NHLPA said, fine, you can go finish the third period on Sunday after Tampa Bay played in Manhattan. Yeah, because that was the only time they were going to be in the area to finish it. So and of course, the Devils still lost that game. So, you know, it wasn't like they were losing. And then somehow the Devils made a miraculous comeback in the makeup third period. Maybe it was a conspiracy. No, it wasn't. It was PSENG or JCPNL making a mistake. It wasn't that like already Uh, three nothing at that point or something like that. Yeah, I mean, there was an argument to be made that you could have just routed it up as a loss for the Devils, but this isn't like baseball where if you go beyond a certain uh, length of time, the game counts, mm. and if it gets end, is postponed or rained out or something at the end, then you just say, well, whatever it was, it is what it is, um, and you just kind of accept it. No, they had to uh, they have to play the game in full, mm-hmm. but 
you know, they didn't get shut out. I remember the Devils scored, but so did Tampa Bay. So I think it was like a 4-1 final or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too lazy to look at my old Blogspot site to see what I wrote about it back then. Well, the consequences obviously weren't too far reaching because uh, that's a moment that I don't think a lot of Devils fans even remember. Right. But getting back to the, the current day, the schedule changes. So we're so as you said, 13 games were changed. The big thing to know is that as of now, as of recording, knock on all the wood, the Devils are planning to return to the ice to play a game on Thursday, February 11th against Philadelphia in Philadelphia. This is notable because the Philadelphia game which is, I guess you could say, the last time the Devils had a fully known healthy roster, save for Mackenzie Blackwood. Mm. Um, that was two weeks. So two weeks after that home loss to Philadelphia, the Devils will be resuming their season. Mm -hmm. So the thinking is, maybe not all 17 players are going to come off the list by the 11th, but enough of them will, such that you'll have a full roster. Which is like, That's which is fine, but it's still like... You know, it's still a risk. Yeah, yeah, definitely not the ideal scenario to be throwing people back in the fold during. No, but again, the thing about the NHL is, you know, as much as they make the list of public, they make the the list public for who's on the list, but they don't give you the information of why they're on the list. Unlike, say, the NFL. Yeah, this is extremely frustrating. Which is so because we don't know if all these guys again, we don't know if it's a result of contact tracing. We don't know if they have positive tests. We don't know if they had false positives. We don't know. Um, but the hope is that, you know, given that the NHL and the teams presumably have more information than we're going to get about this, because we do run into HIPAA issues here. Mm -hmm. um, this is not a simple case of, you know, oh, this guy's got, you know, an upper body injury. Oh, his, his arm was dangling off his body. We can presume it was an arm injury. Uh, this is a little more a good um, assessment there, Doc. <laughs> yeah, it's a little more personal in this case. But I'm going to go with the fact that given that the Devils and the Sabres are going to be resuming their seasons on Thursday means – they have information that suggests that they'll have they're confident they'll have enough players to play those games. I mean, or the we say this now and like it doesn't happen anyway. Of course. I think that's the other major takeaway from the schedule changes is that just like in professional wrestling, the card is subject to change <laughs> for any given reason. Um, you know, whether you know, we're talking about the Devils and the Sabres having COVID issues right now. There's nothing to guarantee that in a month from now it's going to be another team in the East, like, say, Pittsburgh or Washington. Mm -hmm. There's no guarantee that in April that Philadelphia or, or our hated rivals are going to come under the uh, spell of the virus. Uh, and, you know, the fact that the Del the NHL has divisional schedules makes it a little easier to reschedule everything. But you, you can see here four postponed games by the Devils and four postponed games for Buffalo means more than four games have to be rescheduled to make everything work. So a lot of teams are impacted by this. Um, somehow Pittsburgh only has one game this week. They were originally supposed to have three, uh, <laughs> you know, you know, light, light week for them. But it, whatever gains you get in days off today, you're going to make up later on for fewer days off in the future. So and, and here's the but, but again, look, anything can change. Yeah, yeah. Anything. It's it, like you're, you're right. We, we definitely could be talking about this next week as the Devils have continued to not play games, uh, but hopefully they get back on the ice. But here's the um, 
the weird silver lining to this is that if the Devils do have games canceled the rest of the season because of COVID reasons, it's very unlikely it is because of COVID reasons among them. At this point, you have to figure that everyone will have some version of antibodies uh, that will prevent them from getting it again, hopefully. And this is, again, with a disclaimer, based on what we know about this specific variant of the disease so far. Um they will be less at risk to contract it again and spread it again. But who knows? Again, you know, there could be any sort of variants floating around and you have to stay vigilant. You have to follow the protocols or else the season can't continue much further. If they keep rescheduling games, they're going to have to push dates back. They can't just squeeze everything in um, because at a certain point you run out of schedule room and you're going to run these guys into the ground. And so it's yeah. just not going to be a good site for anyone. Um no, it's not an ideal situation, um, but, you know, you have to take whatever PR hit you get for, you know, running a lot of games close together just to get through the season as a whole. I mean, I mean, it, the worst case scenario is, as you say, canceling games. Mm-hmm. Um, thankfully, we're not at that point yet. And I don't think the NHL is going to get to that point because right now the only teams that have been significantly impacted by this has been New Jersey, Buffalo, Colorado and Minnesota. So that's four teams out of 30. Well, Dallas like, missed games at the beginning, right? Like Dallas. That's true. Dallas. Yeah, right. I forgot about Dallas. Dallas and Vegas missed a few. Vegas is a few games back. True. But I, I thought that was a result of having some of their games, like their opponents had to postpone games. No, I think they had um, cases. They only had one player on the list on Friday. But they had coaches there, too. Oh, the coaches. Mm-hmm. That's right. Our old about. friend uh, Pete DeBoer right. landed on there as well. Um, so, yeah, you know, but the Sabres, too, they have seven players, yes, but also their coach, Ralph Kruger, uh, is on the uh, list of participants. So, unfortunately, you know, there's nothing they could do about that now except hope that everyone feels better and hope that there's no lasting damage because we've already seen that there's, um, you know, the prospect Marco Rossi, who is no longer a prospect, he was playing in the NHL this year for the Minnesota Wild, he is... Uh, he flew home to Austria to recuperate from potential complications from COVID-19. And the guy's 19 years old, so you hate to see it happen to literally anyone, but especially someone who is just, you know, about to have a burgeoning career in the NHL. So, like I said, hopefully this is a blip and not anything that's more significant for any of these players as human beings. Exactly. And that's that's the reason why they, there's so many rules and regulations and i know the the union the players don't like some of them as fans we think some of them may be a bit performative or a bit silly but that's that just speaks to the nature of how difficult it is to contain this virus the harsh reality is is that you can wear masks you can wear two masks you can socially distance as much as possible you can wash your hands literally every hour you can be doused in perel and you could still get the virus because it's a virus at the end of the day yeah um, you, you know, I, I don't like this supposition that if you get a positive COVID test or you do get the coronavirus, that it must mean that you did something wrong, mm-hmm. that you violated a rule. You did something you weren't supposed to do. It's a virus. Like you can get them. And the other hard, the other difficult matter is the fact that the symptoms and the severity of it are so wide ranging. In the case of Marco Rossi, as you said, he, you know, complications have occurred and therefore, you know, Job number one for him is to recover so he can actually feel like a human being again, much less be a hockey player. Mm -hmm. And then you have players who have been on the list who have contracted the virus and come back and just go, eh, I just felt bad for a couple of days and I was just bored during quarantine. 
Like it's so wide ranging for some people. It's an inconvenience. And for other people, you're on a ventilator and fighting for your life. Mm -hmm. It, you know, the, the spectrum is that wide. So everything's like a risk assessment with this. You're right that you, you know, you're not, you can't blame someone for catching it. You know, if you're being super careful, you are lowering your odds. You're not guaranteeing that you won't catch it, Correct. but it's a it's a game of odds. You want to get the odds as low as possible so that um, you know you avoid the risk of passing it to someone else potentially. But it's still odds. Like even if the odds are one in a thousand, there's still that one chance out of those thousand that you get it. That's the scary thing about this, and so that's why the protocols are in place. And you know there's differences between not following the protocols and getting the disease and following them and getting them there's there's consequences for one and not the other but um it really is so hard to tell right now what is causing uh, the bulk of the spread and like i said before it seems very clear that playing the game of hockey certainly does not mitigate the risk in any meaningful way no but the other challenge is that we don't necessarily see this e- happening equally in other leagues, mm-hmm. like for example, unless I'm completely misunderstanding something, the USHL, for example, doesn't have widespread COVID issues, and that's a junior league, not even like a major. Like it's tier one, mm-hmm. but it's not at the level of the QMJHL, which restarted with a, a, a number of their teams in a bubble environment, and one of those teams just had to leave the bubble. Right, uh, Victoriaville, thankfully, not Shakutami. <laughs> um, the NWHL <laughs> basically claimed to have a bubble except it was a bubble in name only and the riveters bounced out because of COVID and Connecticut bounced out for something in inexpl- for some other reason, actually it had nothing to do with COVID. I don't know why maybe Jana Hefford in her cold war against the NWHL struck again there. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, the NWHL basically just said, well, we're wrapping it up. We're just going to name a champion and be done. Actually, no, I take it back. They didn't do that. They, they just canceled everything. Yeah. But you look at Europe where some teams get it and they just say, Sorry, Joker, it. You're, you're you're forfeiting your games. We're moving on. We're the KHL. Deal with it. Uh, yeah, you hockey know. doesn't stop just because you got a disease. You know exactly. <laughs> it, and, and that's the and that's the other impetus for why the NHL has to push ahead here because there's enough examples of other leagues making it work that if you're the biggest, you're the most resource rich, you're the most talented league in the world. You got to figure it out if the smaller leagues can fig- figure it out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, let's talk about. Well, let's talk so, about one of those smaller leagues because uh, the Devils have yes. a group that's participating in one of those smaller leagues, the AHL. Uh, and the Binghamton Devils are playing their games out of the Prudential Center this year, or they would be playing their games if they were playing games in general because Binghamton's coaching staff, or just someone on staff in general, I'm not sure if it was exactly coaching staff. Uh, also got hit with the uh, COVID list. And out of precaution, they canceled their first couple of preseason, not their first couple of preseason games. They played one preseason game and then canceled another one and are canceling, not canceling, but postponing the start of their season as well. So it seems like, uh, you know, just something something happened in that building it's clear that there was something that was a little more serious than oh they came in contact with the delivery driver who tested positive but that's just it that could be what exactly happened that could be the start of it but it's not the extent of it it seems right it certainly it certainly is not another it's another 
for lack of a better term, a black eye for the Devils organization because mm-hmm. this happened literally as the New Jersey team is has more than half their team under protocol. Yeah. Uh, the good news is, is that the postponements are very short. Um, their game in Wilkes-Bar Scranton, I don't know why. <laughs> Wilkes-Bar Scranton. <laughs> I don't know why I threw an accent in there. <laughs> Wilkes-Bar Scranton. <laughs> yeah, Scranton. No, Wilkes-Bar Scranton. <laughs> Uh, the baby pens, they're going to play on Monday. So they're going to play tomorrow, uh, weather permitting, of course. Mm-hmm. And then their home opener, which was supposed to be against Hershey, the Bears, which I believe is still affiliated with Colorado. I could be wrong about that. Um, they're going to play on February 17th. So the home the home opener, we say home opener, but there's no fans and they're playing out of the RWJ Barnabas Hockey House. Right. Um, you know, that's been pushed back for more than uh, two weeks out or close to two weeks out, I should say, but the AHL team is going to get their games going at least on Monday. So they, their, their delay is not nearly as long as the Del- the New Jersey team has had. Mm-hmm. Uh, Binghamton will be cold, but so will most of the rest of the AHL. Right. Whereas the devils, they're going to go re- hit the ice again against Philadelphia in Philadelphia, where they've been idle, not only idle, from games, but idle from practices, idle, idle from exercises, idle from any team activities against a Philadelphia team that already beat them twice right? in New Jersey. So without the last change, uh, coming in inactive for effectively 10 days, <laughs> they're going to go Philly, Philly, and then Boston, our hated rivals, Boston on the road. And then they finally return home against Buffalo, who I'm sure are going to be very unhappy with the Devils. Yeah, I'm not I'm not <laughs> thrilled about this. Like, you know, you're just sitting here thinking about what the season's going to look like and how it's going to go. And you want to see improvement from the Devils and you want to see them, you know, play with more confidence, play with more speed, emphasize the young guys and... At the back of your mind, you also are thinking, I don't want them to be the team that causes the league to shut down. That's just a goal every season. And, um, you know, so far it hasn't caused the whole league to do so, but it's definitely causing a lot of reexamination thought of this process in general. Exactly. And and again, Mike, you know, this is the Garden State of Hockey, so I'm kind of focusing more on the hockey aspect. I mean, at the end of the day, I do want everybody to be healthy. I want everybody to... I, I'm hoping if there are positive cases and people truly have the virus on among the devils, I hope the impact on their livelihoods are minor at best. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, without any practices, without any team activities, going straight into a game, um, you know, against a team that has that's going to have played. They played this entire past week because Philadelphia has been unaffected by COVID so far. And that this this week they're playing today. And Tuesday against Washington. So, you know, Philadelphia will be coming in, for lack of a better term, match fit for all you soccer fans. You know exactly what I mean by say that. For the hockey fans that don't, I'm saying they're 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 in good condition. They they're not rusty. You know, they 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 understand the rigors of what it takes to play an NHL game. They, their bodies are you know good to go on that front. The Devils, on the other hand, will have to find fitness again mm-hmm. and do so against not only a rival but on the road against one of the better teams of the East. And after those two games, it doesn't get any easier. So the Devils have started this season off pretty well. I would say they had a good month. They had a good January. And I'm hoping from a hockey standpoint that this postpone, these postponements didn't don't derail the entire season. And then the team just starts falling off a cliff from a competitive standpoint. And from a hockey standpoint, actually the pause is, 
beneficial to the Devils because it has allowed, um, you know, this is purely from a hockey standpoint, but it has allowed some of the players that were in quarantine waiting to get back in the country to begin that process and get through it to be ready for the next time the Devils play. And also some of the players recovering from injury, uh, namely the one player recovering from a major injury, Nico Heischer, um, it gives him a little bit more time to uh, get back on the ice as well. And so, you know, they'll have him participate in more of a percentage of the season's games if they start those games later and give him time to heal. Now, the nature of his injury is completely mystifying because there was a thought that, you know, maybe he'll be ready for opening night. Who knows? And uh, no, that hasn't been the case. It doesn't seem like there's any indication that he will be back um anytime soon i don't know all we have to go on is uh, lindy ruff's assessment that he's getting better um, which means relatively little at this point but this yeah. pause <laughs> gives him time to uh continue that recovery process like i said yeah and and, and as much as the bad news of so many players hitting the protocol list you know vatnin should be coming off of it soon because he's just been in quarantine he hasn't been with the devils aaron dell isn't on the list connor carrick um by the way, congratulations to the Carricks. They just welcomed a new child into the world. That's why he was on the list, because he traveled away from the Devils uh, prior to the bu- weekend in Buffalo. It's going to be an so, ominous yeah. way to describe that weekend now. <laughs> the weekend in the Buffalo. The weekend in Buffalo. One weekend in yeah. Buffalo. The, tra- the, the tragic weekend in Buffalo. It's a, it's a we'll, new we'll uh, Aaron Sorkin we'll workshop movie the game. on the way. <laughs> yeah, we're going to workshop that. Um, it, yeah, Aaron Dell should be off the list. Yeah. Uh, he, he's finally done... Uh, quarantining so he can rejoin the team i believe at any point mckenzie blackwood who is the first devil who made it to protocol list this season didn't get acquired or signed right uh, prior to that he's actually came off during this past week so given that he was on the list for 12 days i don't think it's unfair to presume he had the virus um so at the very least you have some goaltenders um, assuming the guys I mentioned earlier don't end up on the list, you have a defense, I, I, albeit a defense with two defensemen who haven't seen any, or three rather, that haven't seen any ice time this season, but you have six defensemen. Now it'll just be a case of, can you get 12 forwards together? <laughs> yeah, and that's the tricky part, but that's where we turn to uh, Tom Fitzgerald, who's put together a team that's deeper than in recent seasons, certainly. With all these defensemen, now you're starting to understand why you need so many NHL-caliber ones in this weird season. But speaking of Tom Fitzgerald, he actually is the last point I wanted to bring up for today's show, in that there were rumors floating around that for Pittsburgh's suddenly and abruptly vacated GM job, Tom Fitzgerald was a big candidate. And that is probably entirely true given his history with the organization and his uh, perception among NHL leadership circles right now. Obviously, he is employed currently by the New Jersey Devils, but does not have a contract extension. So a lot of people were speculating that, um, you know, once he once this contract had expired, it would be a natural fit between him and Pittsburgh. Uh, Hopefully the devils do reward him for his work and what's manifested so far on the ice. It's clear that there's some sort of future for this team now, um, as opposed to what it looked like in the past. And um, I hope that they give him an extension before any of this talk gets uh, too serious, but Pittsburgh just released a short list of uh, people they'd hire for their GM position. And I think considering some of the names they have, this wouldn't be someone who's just there to be an interim. This is someone who uh, would be there to oversee the next phase of the Pittsburgh Penguins. 
Yeah, I mean, the Pittsburgh situation is odd because the key point here, it's not like Jim Rutherford woke up and said, you know what, I'm done with my career. I've done it all. I've got nothing left to prove. I'm just going to retire now. He, he, The key word is that he resigned, meaning he could be a GM somewhere else. Mm-hmm. You know, given the state of Pittsburgh at the moment, you know, it begs the question, do you want Jim Rutherford? I don't know. <laughs> um, but Pittsburgh is Pitt. So Pittsburgh is now suddenly in a GM hunt in the middle of their season. Um, which is a bit sad for the interim GM, whose name is escaping me at the moment. Um, He's Swedish. He's like the third ever European GM in NHL history. Mm. Granted, he's the second interim one, Jarmo Kekalainen being the first full-time one. Um, But, um, you know, they had a very long list of names to consider, and I think some of it was trumped up by the media or maybe by the some of the assistant GMs because Chris Drury was also on that list. He's he's, he was an associate GM with the R hated rivals. Not so surprisingly, he just got bumped up to assistant GM and got a raise. So, you know, you put your name out there, maybe you convince ownership. Hey, if you want me to stay, <laughs> maybe you, maybe you can make it worth my while. Right. And I could then tell Pittsburgh, no. Um, but Fitzgerald was an interesting case because he did have interviews with other teams for GM jobs in the past. I know he interviewed for the Minnesota job a couple years ago. Um, he's been an assistant for Ray Sharrow for an incredibly long time in this industry. Uh, he's been with him since 2009. So I can understand from your from your you know, the concern of like, how come the Devils only give this guy a one-year deal as a full-time GM? Um, however... I would argue that I think it made the most sense to give him just one year because if you fired Ray Shero and you promoted his assistant, mm-hmm. his longtime assistant to be your GM, right. this is effectively a prove it season. Like prove to me that you are your own man. Prove to me that you can right the wrongs that Shero made. Prove to me that you can get this team on the right track here because uh, three years ago, it looked like Ray Shero had the team on the right track. And then, they face planted and he got fired last year. So if Fitzgerald is just going to be ratio 2.0, I can see Matt ownership going, well, we already done this song and dance before. Thank you for filling in. Thank you for the season. We'll see you later. Good luck in the future. Mm -hmm. And just call it a day. Um, I think he has the devils on the right track. I like what Fitzgerald has done so far. And a lot of his decisions have so far borne out pretty well. The Lindy rough hire has looked pretty good in five on five. Five on five is where this team guy has been destroyed under the John Hines era. And that has been going well. Um, You know, the younger players have been performing fairly well, contributing in significant fashions here and there, which is what you want from young players. So that's another check in the box for Mr. Fitzgerald. Um, You know, I, I I don't think the Pittsburgh interest was that legitimate Mm -hmm. since the devils denied Pittsburgh permission to talk to him. And now it's coming out that Pittsburgh maybe never even asked for permission. They just maybe the name was just floated out there because they said, "Oh, here's an old Pittsburgh guy. Let's go talk to him." <laughs> that sounds like uh, how Pittsburgh works as an organization. <laughs> it's how a lot of organizations work, and to a degree, I get it. In in sports, you know, this is not an easy job to come, you know, to take care of, Dan. Um, you know, there's a lot more involved than just identifying talent and signing them to contracts that seem to make sense. Yeah. You have to deal with agents. You have to deal with ownership. You have to deal with. Um, other mem- other parts of hockey operations. You have to have a good rapport with the coach. You have to have a good relationship with the media. And most importantly, you have to have a good relationship with the player since, you know, these are people at the end of the day. You know, it's easy to say, oh, just sign this guy with a 
great set of stats. Yeah, but if he turns out to be, I don't know, a malcontent in the locker room, so much to the point that, say, a goaltender slugs him in the uh, walkway back to the locker room. What could you possibly be talking about? (laughs) I'm not referring to anybody in particular. Definitely not in the New York metropolitan area. What are you saying here, John? What I'm saying here is that there's more to this than just coming up with a statistical model and coming up with some numbers and and smugly saying that if you pay me a million dollars, I can keep you from doing five stupid things that make your team worse. Maybe you can, but being a GM is much more involved with that. And as a result, there's a tendency for ownership to just say, look, I want somebody who's at least done the job before so that they're not coming in completely blind. Mm -hmm. Or I want somebody who's been an assistant for a long time so they have a lot of familiarity of the expectations beyond what you and I as fans would understand is, the main part of the GM's role. And that's not so unfair, that's what... right? Like part of the psychological aspect, part of the aspect of being a GM is the psychological and having a pulse for your players and how the organization works and the philosophies of like ownership and uh, what the fan base is like. And obviously if you've been there before, you're more likely to know about those things and how they impact your decision-making than someone who hasn't been there. So I get it. Like it, it makes sense from a, uh, there's less ramping up that needs to be done with someone who's familiar with the organization. Yeah. And on top of that, there's a common rule in life is that people learn from their mistakes. So, you know, if, if, you know, I understand the complaints about retreads. I understand the challenges and the issues that come with just recycling a lot of the same names over and over again. It means you're not using good ideas. It's not good for diversity. It's not good for forward thinkingness. True. But You know, if you want a great example of how this can blow up in your face, look at Arizona. They're picking up the pieces from the John Chaka era. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, a guy who said all the right things about analytics, who said all the right things about, you know, a a new a new um, new way of looking at things. He was an outsider to the hockey realm, so to speak. He's young. You know, in theory, it was a great idea. And then he promptly proved that he talked about analytics, but did not do anything (laughs) with respect to them. He he pretty much did the exact opposite. And now Arizona is is in a completely terrible situation. Uh, You know, I feel bad for Alex Marullo, the owner, uh, because he he got bought hook, line, and sinker by Cheka, and now he had he had he has to scramble to find people to you know basically undo his damage the cap issues are going to just stay with that team for a very long time and it's going to undercut their future competitiveness, which, you know, if, if that's the worst thing Arizona needs as a franchise, which is more lame duck years, at least with the devils, there's a history that you can go back on mm-hmm. <laughs> with Arizona, not so much. And, and of course, Marilla with the, is a casino owner. And of course the pandemic has been especially damaging for, for a casino. So I, I feel bad for the man in general. <laughs> he's, he's kind of burning at both ends here. Uh, but getting back to GMs, um, that's why you see a lot of retreads and why you see a lot of names of, you know, this guy was in the position. He's been an assistant. Okay. We need a GM. Let's at least float his name out there and see if he catches on. This is not, this is not a job that you post on LinkedIn or monster.com and get, you know, applications from all over the world. Right. <laughs> um, this is a, this is a serious job and it has important ramifications. Somebody who's bad at this job can negatively hurt your team for several seasons long after that person is gone, which is what's going to happen in Arizona. And um, that's, I think, why Fitzgerald had only the one-year contract. That's why Fitzgerald's name keeps popping up for GM jobs. And 
because the Devils want to make sure Fitzgerald isn't going to be Shero 2.0 and then basically have to redo this rebuild in five more years, mm -hmm. similar to what they're doing right now after Ray Shero. So this is a long way of saying that this is a prove-it season. I'm not bothered by the Pittsburgh speculation. I'm not going to be bothered by any other speculation. If Fitzgerald does well and the team actually finishes all 56 games and the team is in a better place than where they were last year, he gets the extension and not, and this is all a do about nothing. Yeah, that seems like the most likely scenario in this case, um, just given how uh, things have been going so far. But who knows? Like Everything has changed now from their season. It's... I would love for them to be in a similar, um, like to be able to play at a similar ability to the, the one they were playing at before this all happened. Uh, it's just, there's really no guarantee of that. So yeah, there is, um, that's, that's the big issue. So, uh, that kind of brings us to the end of this episode. There's a lot that's gone on around the devils and with the devils and teams are starting to make trades now as well. Um, there's, you know, big names on the move include Patrick Laine and Pierre-Luc Dubois. But again, that feels a little bit more removed since everything that happens in another division is in a complete vacuum of that division, too. It doesn't have any implications from the hockey perspective for the Devils um, for at least a year at this point. So uh, I'm not too worried and concerned about teams outside the East making trades in general. But um, we might see some more stuff from the Devils. They have some decisions to make on pending free agents as well. And while they may not be playing games, transactions are still going on in earnest around the league. So we'll see what the Devils do moving forward, and hopefully they get back in action. And, uh, you know, similar to this week, if it turns out that they have to have more games canceled, we obviously won't have a Friday episode. We'll have very little to talk about, but hopefully we'll see you back here on Friday for a recap of their first game back uh, on Thursday. With all that said, thanks again for listening and um, stay warm through the snow, stay safe and uh, stay healthy and keep enjoying Devils Hockey whenever it's back. Have a good rest of your Super Bowl Sunday. Go Devils, hopefully. <laughs> <laughs>